This episode of Arizona Spotlight is supported by Broadway in Tucson. For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up. Go on a boat trip with some longtime river runners to investigate Lake Powell's water depletion. How is our active summer monsoon impacting the local insect community? We'll get some insight from Dr. Justin Schmidt, also known as the King of Sting. Popular children's book creator Adam Rex is currently the Pima County Public Library's writer in residence. He'll share some advice about bringing the written word to life in dynamic ways. And what happens when a king and a queen just can't agree on a video game? Stories That Soar offers a short audio play written by a fourth grader from Coronado Elementary. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. For decades, the Colorado River filled Glen Canyon to the brim. That's where Lake Powell is, the second largest reservoir in the country. But climate change and overuse are causing the reservoir to decline to a new record low, leaving the future of the primary water supply for tens of millions in the southwest uncertain. Luke Runyon from KUNC took a boat trip on Lake Powell with some longtime river runners to bring us this report. Mike DeHoff steers his small metal motorboat down what you could argue is the weirdest stretch of the Colorado River. The water is supercharged with sediment and roiling, the same color as a latte. I think that we'll see a place where the river's no longer, the current is no longer moving. This is the delta of Lake Powell, the place where the flowing Colorado River meets the Stillwater Reservoir. Gnarled spires of clay rise up out of the river channel. DeHoff calls these mudbergs, like icebergs, but made of mud. They're formations created by a river that hasn't flowed in this reach for more than 50 years. The mudbergs that we'll see defining and um, changing the river corridor, they change day to day, month to month. That's terra incognito for me. Lake Powell usually conjures images of wakeboarders and houseboats, not mud rapids. Its low level is terrifying to water managers, but DeHoff and other longtime river guides and environmentalists see this moment as hopeful, not catastrophic. When the reservoir was full, where we're boating now would have been deep underwater, a muddy mess of river sediment. With the reservoir at a historic low, the lake bottom is exposed and the river is carving through it, creating a bizarro world where everything you see is made of mud. This is like a river on an acid trip right now. DeHoff has spent decades running raft trips down Cataract Canyon, the area just upstream of Lake Powell known for its whitewater rapids. For the last five years, with a few partners, he's run a project called Returning Rapids, an attempt to document the change happening here. We set up camp on a sandy beach nestled inside the mud canyon. DeHoff takes a seat in a fold-up chair with Pete Lefebvre, a longtime river guide. The two work together on the project. 
Early on, Lefebvre says they found that asking one simple question, where can we go rafting, often led to 20 more about sediment, water supply, hydropower production, and the future of recreation here. If we just didn't even expect to be studying this area the way that we are right now. Yeah. Uh, just because of how fast the river is moving downstream and the lake is dropping. The federal government has recently pulled emergency levers to prop up Lake Powell. Without enough snow in the Rocky Mountains and downstream demands for water going unchecked, Lefebvre says it feels like the whole Colorado River Basin is at a breaking point. I think that we don't, as a species, react until it's like, oh man, we need to do something. And we're getting to the point where people are saying, man, we need to do something. The next day, we motor into Lake Powell and veer up into one of its many side canyons for a hike. We splash through a flowing creek full of tadpoles, run our hands over towering willows. Oh man, that smell, the willows, smells so alive. Eric Balkin runs the Glen Canyon Institute, which advocates draining Lake Powell and moving what's left of its waters downstream. He points out a high water mark from the reservoir stained on the red rock 100 feet above our heads. There are a lot of big changes coming to the Colorado River, and this is one that's a good change. You know, to see this canyon come back is really special. Some environmental groups want to see the dam decommissioned and the canyon behind it restored. Balkin says this current moment of reckoning on the river, where users are collectively trying to figure out how to use less, should be seen as an opportunity. Now we're being a, given a chance to rethink this place. And the reason why it was a mistake was because it had so much value beyond a storage tank. And with the reservoir on the decline, Balkin says some of those values are a lot easier to see, smell, and feel. I'm Luke Runyon near Bullfrog, Utah. This story is part of ongoing coverage of the Colorado River, produced by KUNC and supported by the Walton Family Foundation. Justin O. Schmidt is an associate scientist in the Department of Entomology at the University of Arizona. You may have heard of his most famous work, a book called Sting of the Wild, for which he allowed himself to be bitten and stung by more than 100 spiders and insects. The Schmidt pain scale and his colorful description of the experience have been adopted by scientists around the world. Joining him today is his wife, Lee, a family physician in Tucson and a lover of music. They work together on many projects involving insects and education. I asked them to come to the studio to tell us a little about how the annual monsoon impacts the tiny universe that exists all around us. Yeah, the monsoons are, are one of these things that I categorize as there's never a typical monsoon. Everyone is different. And so that way we can best cherish each monsoon for its particular characteristics. This one is a bit odd in my mind in that it started early but then it kind of had fits and starts and didn't really get going for quite a while. Then it really got roaring going, which is why when you go around Cochise County, Santa Cruz County, Pima County, 
all of southern Arizona, it just veered in just explosive green like I've never seen before. You know, one of the things that did affect us even long before the monsoon, we had a very dry spring. So that affected a lot of the pollinators and a lot of the potential butterfly population because pollinators need flowers. You know, we have really dry spring and we have very few flowers, so that sets them back a little bit. But now that we've had these tremendous rains, all of a sudden flowers are everywhere. If you go around town and you look at the bird of paradise, bird of paradise is spectacular this year. So if you got a little bit of free time, anybody, go out and just watch a bird of paradise and you'll see butterflies of various types. You'll see bees. You'll see what I call the hummingbird moths, which are the white-lined sphinx moth. They're a day-flying hawk moth. They come to them. You'll see... I caught a picture of a pretty big black and white moth the other night. Yeah, that looks like a uh, what we call tomato hornworm. It's uh, <laughs> it's actually a spectacular, beautiful caterpillar. It's a great big green thing, and it works on datura and wolfberry of all strange things. We think of wolfberry as our little local spiny plant that has tiny, tiny little leaves, and here you get this great big caterpillar that can weigh almost an ounce, but it lives on those. And it's a pollinator of many of our solanaceous, in other words, chilies, tomatoes, eggplants, that kind of thing. And their populations were really, really low. I remember celebrating a couple of months ago. I saw one white line sphinx in the underpass going under speedway. And I said, wow, the first one I've seen all year. Now they're all over the place. So that's partly because of these late spring has made so many flowers. And the caterpillars eat a whole lot of different kinds of plants, and then they turn into these beautiful hawk moths. Well, Lee, I'd like to ask you, how long have you and Justin been together now? Uh, since 1989. Actually, we know each other since then. Would you say that being with Justin has had an impact on the way you look at the world around us, including the insects and plants? Absolutely. I have a saying, just like birding, insecting. <laughs> Spotting insects, yeah. Do you have a garden or any sort of place where you can observe these seasonal visitors close up? Yeah, we just have the natural gardening. Our garden, Justin has an ecologically balanced backyard. And so I just watch the nature. Mm -hmm. What is your take on the monsoon this year, Lee? I loved it because almost every day we got some rain. Going back to my curiousness about how this season um, impacts the insect world. Something we see a lot of here on campus are lizards. Um, the campus has just been bountiful with them running around. So most lizards are insectivores, is that correct? That, that's correct. And lizards, of course, it's, a, it's kind of a system where the bottom up and the further the bottom grows, the better the intermediate steps. So so you'll get more lizards and then you get more roadrunners. Like this year has been a bumper year for roadrunners around our part of town. We're sort of western part of town. Roadrunners are everywhere. We've had several guests coming in and they're just so excited that the two main icons of the Sonoran Desert to most outside visitors are number one, of course, the saguaro and number two is roadrunner. So we had plenty of roadrunners this year. What about you personally? Where are your interests taking you these days? Are there any particular research projects that you want to talk about? Yeah, we're working on another bumper crop this year, which I'm delighted. It's been the tarantulas. And tarantulas mean tarantula hawk wasps. And I'm really interested in the tarantula hawk wasps 
with these great big about two inch long blue black metallic bodied orange winged wasps that'll come especially to milkweed and the reason they're of interest is they have an extremely painful sting i don't know anybody who can grab one and get stung and say, oh, so what, and yawn. <laughs> yeah! And you throw your hand up in the air and the wasp runs off. The interesting thing is they're totally non-toxic. They just hurt like the devil. Hmm. And so this it gives us an opportunity. In fact, one of our visitors from Australia is a leading expert on some of the new molecular techniques and we're trying to determine what causes the ouch factor do you remember what you rated the tarantula hawk on the Schmidt pain scale? Oh, absolutely. Nobody forgets that. It's a four. That's the highest that it goes. And it's <laughs> kind of like one four is equal to three, ten threes, and ten threes are, or ten twos are equal to one three. A honeybee is two, so it's like getting a hundred honeybee stings. Uh. And that catches most people's attention, certainly mine. Well, Lee, I'd like to know about the whole King of Sting book, the project. What are some of your feelings about how all that occurred? And I understand it's still going on, right? The research continues. Yeah, I uh, basically found uh, because of that book and Justin's research tried to really reach the public and the description of the pain so vivid and a lot of people actually said that they can experience it by reading them. And also, I've been kind of incorporating into medicine. Actually, I ask people to describe their pain, especially connected with function, rather than just say 10 and 12 and so painful, and uh, more connecting, say, hey, describe it. Um, how does that feel? So I sometimes show them the example of Justin's uh, index. Then actually, people can come up with their own description. And also I see a lot of, um, particularly children, I got a bug age that I called, eight or nine to 10. I think it made people be more careful about bugs now. As I always say, just like birding, insecting, and I want them to realize, I said, no sting insects, no apples, no pumpkins, no Halloweens. And yeah, right, it's so all think, connected. Yeah, so I think people, I see the change personally, mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Lee, I want to ask you about this lovely little song that you sang once in the studio. We didn't have the microphones on at the time. And now that you're back and you're in the studio with us, I'd like to ask you to sing it. Okay. Yeah, it is about um, flowers and bees. It sounds like this. So basically says, when flower blooms, honeybee comes. Flower and honeybees are inseparable. Honeybee born to love flowers. Flower bloom just for the honeybees. Thank you very much, Lee. Lee Schmidt and Justin Schmidt, the king of sting. Thanks for being guests once again on Spotlight. 
Thank you, Mark. Dr. Justin O. Schmidt's book, The Sting of the Wild, The Story of the Man Who Got Stung for Science, is published by Johns Hopkins University Press. If you are an aspiring writer working on your first manuscript or stuck on the perilous quest of finding a publisher, where can you go for help without having to pay a consultant's fee? The Pima County Public Library offers a writer-in-residence program where you can schedule a one-on-one appointment with an author who's already met those same challenges. Currently, the writer-in-residence is Adam Rex, a Tucson resident known for writing and illustrating a heap of successful picture books and novels, including Frankenstein Makes a Sandwich, Psst, and On Account of the Gum. You know, these writers-in-residence consultancies that I'm doing, I'm, I'm basically sitting down with people who sign up for half-hour sessions with me, and Each person is coming to me with questions often about a specific project they're working on or just about the industry that I am in in general. But far and away, what I'm mostly getting is people bringing me their manuscripts. And I think I'm pretty good at reading other people's manuscripts and making useful suggestions. But there's always the fear that despite them being there and professing that they want useful suggestions, maybe they don't really. So, Mm. you know, I think I've always been afraid of putting myself into that position because I've been on the other side of that table where I I was telling somebody unfairly that I, I wanted them to tell me what they thought of my work honestly, but what I really wanted was for them to tell me how, you know, effervescently wonderful it was. And so far I have not had that problem. I feel like everybody has been coming into their sessions, you know, honestly and wanting to listen. You know, I hope they listen to what I say and then I hope they go off and decide whether or not I'm right because, you know, I'm one person and my opinion could be wrong. But I think even a bad suggestion or or the wrong opinion can be useful if they are willing to do the work of taking my opinions apart and figuring out why they're bad. And Mm -hmm. if anything, they might then be more fortified in the creative decisions that they have decided to make. But of course, what I really hope is that I really genuinely help someone with just the right suggestion at the right time. Have you found it inspiring in any way, reflecting back on your career and your goals? I mean, some of these people are working really hard on something that may never be read by anyone. That's true. And I remember that. You know, I I remember how that was. Uh, I decided that I wanted to to get into kids' books, I think, when I was like 16 years old. I was working after school at a Walden Books, if um, your listeners actually remember what those are. Yeah, I was across the hall from you at B. Dalton. Okay. Is that right? You were in the Tucson Mall? Uh, Yeah, I was. All right, yeah. So I I worked at a few Walden Books over the years, and and mostly at that that one that used to be in the Tucson Mall right next to Sears, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, you know, working for those, I fell in love with picture books all over again, having not really thought about them for years. You know, I thought maybe I was going to grow up to do comics or something, something with storytelling and making pictures. You know, between my deciding that that's something I wanted to do and actually starting to do it was a lot of years and a lot of years of, of having to 
hold on to the irrational idea that I had something to say that other people should want to listen to, which was a lot easier when I was like, you know, 20, 25 and was a little more full of myself. And I think that's the, you know, that's the easiest time to try to get into one of these creative endeavors when you sort of just naturally think that the world needs to hear what you have to say. Um, so I'm glad that I got my break when I did because, you know, now I've been doing this for more than 20 years and more and more, I just feel very lucky that people are still allowing me to do it at all. Adam, can you give us a, an example of a common question that you might get from the people that you're working with in these one-on-one -on -one writer sessions at the library? Something that you feel like you've got an answer for. I think a lot of the, the most common questions that people have at the very beginning of the process is, you know, it's often just a lot to do with not understanding how the industry works. You know, they're an author, They've maybe written, uh, you know, a couple of picture book manuscripts, and they're wondering how to find an illustrator. And they don't need to find an illustrator if they're going to be pursuing traditional publishing. Uh, you know, if they're going to be going after, you know, an actual editor at, at one of the traditional houses, that editor is going to be matching them with an illustrator, that editor with a wealth of knowledge about what's going to be best for this manuscript. That's one of the, you know, the most important things and probably just one of the most fun things that I imagine an editor gets to do is just create that that marriage that elevates the whole thing to you know greater than the sum of its parts. I feel like that's one of the concerns that a lot of people have. They just feel like they need to do it themselves and that they're kind of the boss of the picture book. And in the best picture books, the author and the illustrator are equal collaborators, and the book is is not either, you know, creators more than the other. And so the author kind of needs to leave room for the future illustrator, but also maybe let go of the idea that they're going to be the one choosing that person themselves. So in reference to you not being able to be in your studio doing your work, but instead being at one of the library branches out there in public, uh, have you ever been spotted? Have you ever seen a kid who's looking at a book and they look at the book flap and they look at you and they look at the book flap and they look at you? You know, something similar to that it has happened from time to time. And I feel like it usually comes down to the, to the idea that maybe I visited that kid's school sometime in the last six months because a lot of us uh, children's book authors and illustrators make a regular habit of, of visiting schools. These days, you know, more often maybe over Zoom or, or some similar platform, but it's a weird kind of mixture where you go into the school and the kids have probably never actually heard of you before you came, but then by the time you leave that they think you're a celebrity of some sure. fashion. And, and so that does happen to me around town. But just as often, if not more so, my wife, who is a... A school teacher, like she gets recognized more often than I do. So I feel like in this town, she's more of a, a public celebrity, certainly, than I am. <laughs> okay. Um, can you think of any sort of cryptic clue, code phrase, or word that might give a hint as to what you're working on next? <laughs> I'm going to give you a, a word that pertains to the next thing that I have coming out. And... That word is gastrointestinal. Adam Rex, thanks very much for your time. Thank you for having me. Children's book creator Adam Rex is the current writer-in-residence at the Pima County Public Library. Aspiring writers can schedule an appointment for recommendations and advice from Adam on Tuesdays at the Hemel Park Library and Thursdays at the Woods Memorial Library. The Tucson nonprofit Literacy Connects sponsors a group of performers and musicians called Stories That Soar. 
Their mission is to help young writers realize the power and possibility of bringing their stories to life in any medium. Next, we'll hear a tale of fantasy built around the reality of sharing space with another person, even a kingdom. This is King and Queen Fight, written by Savaya, a fourth grader from Coronado Elementary. Once upon a time in the Jellybean Kingdom, there was a castle, and in the castle there were the king and queen. The queen was reading quietly. Oh. <laughs> the king was playing video games. Nice, nice. Want the hard point? Here we go, guys. Here we go. Nice. Here we go. Oh, this you got nothing on me. <laughs> He blasted the volume so high and so loud. Seriously? The queen tried hard to read quietly. But at last, she could not. Nature! Hold on, guys, hold on. Could you turn it down? What? Turn it down! What did you say? <sighs> Alright, mate. Come back. It's okay. She went around the whole kingdom, but it was so loud. Yes, yes, I fought it. I will go ahead and do that. It was so loud that the whole kingdom heard it. I haven't slept in three days. Do you know what that means? Three days. I'm on it. I'm on it. I can't do control your This is getting ridiculous. The queen finally went up to the throne. Go! Oh, this new got nothing on. And unplugged the TV? <sighs> what the? Then the king was mad. <sighs> or was he? Oh, thank you, my queen. He was kind of grateful, and he was getting bored of the video game. Oh, I was getting bored of the video game. How about we read uh, uh, quietly? Hmm, I have. Hmm. Ooh. Fairy tales, you like that one? Hmm? Oh, excellent. <clears throat> Once upon a time, there was. Oh. Oh, Remember, quietly. Hmm, that's nice. So the king joined the queen and read quietly, and the whole kingdom lived quietly ever after. The end. That story was written by Savaya, a fourth grader from Coronado Elementary in the Amphi School District. It was produced by the team at Stories That Soar. Aspiring student-age writers can send their stories now through the Magic Box Story Portal at literacyconnects.org. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. The show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios. AZPM's news director is Christopher Conover. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. Production assistance by Leah Britton. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore. Thank you to Broadway in Tucson for their support of Arizona Spotlight.